walking through the Gospel of Matthew this Lenten season. So maybe we'll begin with a story. I heard a preacher once share a story that went like this. A man once visited a community of people who lived uh, along a river. As evening approached, the man was invited to sit down by the river to enjoy a cool drink and to uh, enjoy some dinner with the people. And while everyone ate and enjoyed the pleasant evening, a crocodile suddenly came up out of the river, bit off the arm of a man near the river's edge, and then slipped silently back into the river. In similar silence, the injured man went to seek medical care. The visitor was alarmed and shocked, but as he looked around, everyone else seemed to hardly notice. As they continued their eating and drinking and conversations, picking up right where they left off without any discussion of the incident. Now, disturbed by all of this, the man tried to mention the horrible event to the others, but each time, someone in the group quickly changed the subject. Finally, he shouted out to those around him, didn't you all see the crocodile attack, that I, or was I just imagining things? After a bit of an awkward silence, one person in the group finally spoke up. Yes, we saw it. In fact, a number of people in our community are attacked by crocodiles each year. And sure enough, as the man started looking around more closely, he noticed that practically everyone, people all around, were scarred or missing fingers or ears or hands or feet, even arms or legs. So why did you all just sit there and say and do nothing? Well, because it is impolite in our culture to talk about crocodiles. I think there's a lot of things that we could apply that to in life. But for this morning, as we read the text from Matthew 18, I ask, do we have the ability to talk about the things that bring destruction to others and to our community as a whole? Or can we only sit, saying and doing nothing, to address it? So that is the heart and the essence of what Jesus is wanting to address. Biblical scholar and Matthew, Gospel of Matthew expert Jeff Gibbs wrote about Matthew 18 saying this, Acted upon with anger or malice or arrogance, Jesus' teaching could be and has been misused as a weapon by which flawed human creatures have wreaked untold havoc. Carried out with graceful compassion, with the heart of Jesus filling every clause, this teaching can be, and by grace countless times has been, the opportunity to pursue a brother or sister who needs to be restored to the fellowship of the church. You see, the entire context of Matthew 18, as well as many other passages throughout the gospel, is about the powerful restoration and reconciliation that can take place in a community and by a community in the context of Christ. But when I think about our community, the Concordia village, whether administrator or faculty member, staff or student, myself included, and all of you, when I reflect of, and on hearing our responses, whether to recent events or conversations of internal strife on our campus as well as in the broader years of experiences outside of this place, I have to wonder, how do we get to the handling of the deep spiritual concerns and wounds of others when we tend to struggle with even the general nature of conflict in community? So while Jesus is surgically specific in what he addresses in the particular section of his teaching, allow me maybe to broaden that out a bit to general struggles of conflict within the community. 
You see, the world has given us the patterns for extremes, being explosive and argumentative or conflict-adverse or passive-aggressive. Why do we sit, saying and doing nothing, as within the community there is destructive behavior that takes place? I began with a story about crocodiles, but I cannot help but think of another reptile, a certain snake that made its way in Genesis chapter 3, twisting the words of God for the purpose of disrupting and corrupting that garden of joy-filled relationship and perfect community. Same twister of truth who tried to work Jesus over in the wilderness with temptations set on derailing a reconciliation mission. You see, the father of lies, the princes of deception, still twists his way to wreak havoc in our community, in our lives, with our relationships with one another. And with our sinful nature serving as far too willing accomplices, he takes Matthew 18 and he manipulates us. Maybe as supervisors in positions of authority or maybe confidants for our friends, we push the concept and process of Matthew 18 not really as a way to deal with issues of real concern, but to avoid being roped into having to walk through something very difficult and challenging with others. Not as a way to help produce peace, but merely as a way for us to avoid conflict, which is not the same thing. Satan gets us to champion Matthew 18 as a way to gain permission for seeking justice or vengeance, not in order that we can be restored in relationship. But that is what it is that Jesus is after. He is after the restoration of relationships. Full reconciliation with one another. And we may say to ourselves, but really we don't have the kind of relationships where we can speak candidly to others about things needing to be addressed. Or we don't really have the sort of relationships that are in the need of that sort of reconciliation that Jesus is talking about. Well, we know it isn't because of a lack of sin. It isn't because we don't have interpersonal issues or conflicts. In some ways, the lack of need or opportunity for this kind of reconciliation in the midst of our community is maybe because relationships can develop on such a superficial level that too often we don't even bother with being invested enough to consider our interactions with brothers and sisters in Christ as relationships worth reconciling. We live in a time when there are more people on the planet more access to the furthest corners of the world, through more forms of communication than ever before, and yet seemingly we do more to struggle for meaningful connection and have lower commitment to other people that are around us, at least the kind that could allow the sorts of conversations and interactions that Jesus speaks to in Matthew 18. Now please don't hear me wrong. We are a people who are blessed in the context of Concordia to have some of the most joyous relationships, the closest of friends, lifelong connections that are in many ways indescribable in their importance and their care for our well-being. But in addition, there are interactions with many others that might be described in different ways. Someone says something in a class, posts something online, speaks out in a meeting, makes decisions we don't agree with, and we feel offended or wronged, frustrated or angered. We gather with others, we speak ill of them or complain. We too often do not address it with the individual because we would say it would be awkward 
or out of place because we don't have that kind of relationship. We've maybe had them in a class. We only know them mostly through Facebook. They aren't in our friend groups or our departments or we rarely see them or can have the opportunity to follow up after the case. So instead we have after-meeting discussions, cafeteria conversations, late-night dorm room chats, private forums of texting or instant messaging. Harmless commiserating, we say. Sharing frustrations is all. Only joking or having a bit of fun. Maybe we say things like, well, we're all academics. We're supposed to be filters of truth and honesty to give intellectual critique to these sorts of things. All lies and deceits of Satan. Looking for ways to take digits and limbs to leave scars on the body of Christ. My friends, Christ has shown that indeed he, he is fully invested in having reconciled relationships with us. He showed that he is invested to the point of death in order that we could be reconciled to God, yes, but also in order that we could be reconciled to each other. Because this is God, the tireless pursuer of reconciliation, who gives a ministry of reconciliation. Second Corinthians 5, we read Paul's word that says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together wrote this, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it be brief, single encounter, or the daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another through Jesus Christ. He goes on to say that among men there is strife. He is our peace, says Paul of Jesus Christ. Without Christ, there is discord between God and man and between man and man. Christ became the mediator and made peace with God and among men. Without Christ, we should not know God. We could not call upon him or come to him But without Christ, we also would not know our brother, nor could we come to him. The way is blocked by our own ego. Christ opened up the way to God and one another. Now Christians can live with one another in peace. They can love and serve. They can become one. But they can continue to do so only by way of Jesus Christ. Only in Jesus are we one. Only through him are we bound together. To eternity, he remains the one mediator. So imagine Concordia as a community shaped by the power of Christ's reconciliation and that bond of peace. Administrators, there are more people, more conflicts in the lives of this community than you can individually attend to. But God has placed you in positions of authority and influence 
to embody humility, to be an example of personal responsibility and repentance, in order that issues can be addressed directly but compassionately, and to help shape a culture of honesty, a space of safety, a place of trust for active reconciliation as the way to create the bond of peace. Faculty and staff, yes, we are part of an institution that must thrive with academic honesty and intellectual critique. But Christ shapes that by also giving us his Holy Spirit, which produces things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and the like as the list continues. Students, you have been given a world that seeks to look away, to avoid conflict, nomadically move on, nomadically move on in your relationships when you meet difficulty. A society that celebrates autonomy and individual expression. But Jesus also shines in you as a light to the world to share the gift of meaningful reconciliation. Even if, well no, actually maybe especially if, at times it is difficult. Ephesians 6 says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against cosmic powers over present darkness, spiritual evil, in heavenly places, forces of evil in heavenly places. And so let us pray for one another. Let's pray for our administration, pray for our faculty and staff, pray for our students, pray for our peers, pray for our colleagues, pray for your pastors. That Christ would equip us all for this work of reconciliation. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want to invite you to stand and sing with me.